really get value out of something when you're selling the actual value as opposed to potential value. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to episode nine of the Web Equity Show. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. What's going on, brother? What is up, sir? Another fun episode ahead. Yeah, man, we've got a great episode lined up. We're talking about what's my online business worth? And this is an important question for any entrepreneurs, any online entrepreneurs. Everyone wants to know what their business is worth, right? I mean, whether you're selling or not. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think some people don't pay as much attention to it as they should. And then other people absolutely obsess with it. So some people, we, we may get them to start thinking about, hey, I'm building something that is a value. And then, you know, there are other folks that are thinking about the Uber's valuation and these other outrageous things, and we can bring them back to reality. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the important things, right, is that you get sellers that often are looking for valuations that are a little aggressive. Yeah, I've talked to sellers all the time, and I know you guys do, and they just don't know. I don't think that it's something where, you know, they feel like, oh, well, my site is so much better than everything else in the market. I think a lot of times they just, they've never done a deal before. They've never bought an internet business, they've never sold one. So they just have to be informed. And, you know, I found that kind of showing them what's going on in the market can bring them back to reality. Yeah, I can tell you, though, it's not just people that haven't done deals before, man. It's us, too. I got, I'll be honest with you here. So it's easy for me to look at other businesses that we're brokering and say, OK, here's your valuation. Here's why. Here's the reasoning. And it sucks to be the bearer of bad news, but it is what it is. That's our business. I get it. Where it becomes a little more difficult is when we're looking at our own businesses, right? So we're like, OK, here's the objective reasoning for why your business is worth that much. But when it comes to my own businesses, I'm like, I think it's worth a little bit more. Here's my, you know, I I, I want to get a little value. I'm trying to sneak in some value on potential. And because you know, I see <laughs> I see what it's going to be worth, you know, a year from now or two years from now. And I want to get paid on that now. And unfortunately, that's just not the way the market works, right? Yeah. And, and we've even been done deals where the business in the past has been this huge business and now it's no longer there. And, and the person's like, but look what it's done. It can do that again. So today, what we're going to do is clear up some of these misconceptions about how you derive value, give you some rules of thumb that you can use to come up with a quick valuation and share some tips on, on how to get the best value within reason when you're going to sell your site. Yeah, I think that's important, you know, as we talk to potential sellers, you know, first, we kind of beat them up a little bit and say, well, here's the real valuation. But I think for sellers listening to this, they're going to get some ideas on how to improve their valuation, especially if they're looking at selling maybe six months, 12 months, 18 months in the future. There are things they can do today that's going to make their asset worth a lot more in the future. All right, man, before we get into that, let's do some listener love. First up, man, you know, for anyone that's listening to the show that really digs it, that's you know enjoying us putting on this podcast, we'd really appreciate if you head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We've got a, quite a few reviews from you guys already, so thank you so much for those. And if you're digging the show, we'd appreciate if you left one as well. Second thing is, you know, we've got a bunch of mentions on Twitter, people tweeting the show out and, and sharing it. I just wanted to you know, give them a shout for you know, doing that and get, you know, let them know we appreciate it. We've got Michael Richard giving us a tweet, Glenn Thompson, 
We got Jeremy Vitale doing it. We got Andrew Udarian giving us a shout about the show. Do you know Andrew, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to meeting him when I'm overseas. But yeah, I've listened to his show for a while now. Yeah, man. I'm a big fan of his. It's uh, ecommercefuel.com. That guy's a boss. He's got, I think, the best e-commerce community out there. And it's really, it's mostly experienced e-commerce site owners. And they really kind of open up and share information. So we're a part of his community. I really dig it. I dig Andrew. He's a really stand-up guy. Do you remember he did a while back? He did the uh, public listing of his sale of his site, yeah. and then he yeah. did the uh, what was it the reverse Dutch? So he's like raising the price, raising the price, and then you know try to get it sold quickly. And he got he got really good valuation of it. It was really interesting. Got a great valuation. Also brought a ton of attention to this whole concept of buying existing sites. And he's somebody that's done some deals. So he's done some deals outside of that. So I love that he's bringing attention to the fact that you don't have to start from scratch. Even the large majority of the folks in his community are going out and building deals and some of those are going to come to the market so i yeah, love man. what he's up to you know the guy that he has on the show pretty often over there at e-commerce fuel on his podcast is uh drew sanaki do you know that guy yeah yeah and drew is another guy who is well versed when it comes to deal making yeah he's he sold his e-commerce business i think for like low to mid seven figures a couple of years ago and now he does some investing. I know that he's got a group where they look for e-commerce businesses to purchase anywhere from like mid six to seven figures. And he's a super sharp dude, man. I had him on the Empire podcast quite a while back, but man, it was just, it was a pleasure talking to that guy. He's super sharp. Yeah. He's somebody we should catch up with and see if he wants to come on the show. Definitely, man. All right, man. You ready to get into this episode? Let's do it. All right, let's do it, buddy. Today we're talking about what's my online business worth and after the question, can you sell my site, is it even possible, this is definitely the most popular question. Sellers want to know what their website's worth, what their business is worth and they want to get an idea as to pricing and you know Ace, we could make this episode really short, right? We could just say, hey, it's worth what a buyer's willing to pay and just end it right there. Like <laughs> we're done with the show, you know, <laughs> fantastic and move on. But I think there's a lot more to it and we're going to get into things like valuation, you know, what gets you your multiple. We're actually going to talk about a lot of different misconceptions that are going on here too. Yeah, I think one of the things that where it is really tough is from the seller perspective, you know, they're only going to be able to sell it for what a buyer is willing to pay. But from the buyer's perspective, one of the tough things is what is this thing really worth? And I'm always working on the other side of the transaction, getting questions like, okay, is this worth what they're asking? Should I just give them their asking price? And we live in a world, just especially when it comes to buying things like houses and cars, where you just negotiate. You know, we don't negotiate for a ton of things in America, like <laughs> groceries and all of that. But when it comes to those large purchases, we like to feel like, okay, I'm paying uh, less than the asking price. And, the, you know, sometimes the asking price could be less than what the business is worth. Yeah, there's some warm and fuzzies that come with the feeling that you've got a deal, right? So we're going to talk about that and talk about like what an actual good deal is versus, you know, what you might think a good deal is. I think that's important. And, you know, it is true, too, that, you know, a lot of times sellers want more for their business than it's actually worth. We're going to talk a little bit about why that's the case. You know, I think clearing up some of the misconceptions is a priority because, you know, both sellers and buyers come to the table with some preconceived ideas that I think we can help with. So we're going to get into that. We're going to cover some rules of thumb and then we're going to share some tips for improving the value of the business that you're looking to sell. So let's start off with some misconceptions, buddy. 
Yeah, I'm excited to talk about some of these misconceptions because I can just send this to everybody that calls me. Listen to this episode first before we talk, and that'll save a lot of time. So one of the things is that valuations should be based on revenue and not profit. And I get this all the time, you know, especially when we get leads from the hidden market that aren't necessarily on the market. They haven't already talked to a broker. And a lot of times they've never bought a business. They've never sold a business. And they think, oh, wow, literally was just having this conversation yesterday with a, a company that was making, you know, grossing $2 million a year. And, but the take home was only 200,000. I'm like, oh, we have this multi-million dollar business. I'm excited to talk to them. And then I get on, I was like, no, this isn't a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> Your profit is 200,000. Yeah, I'm not sure where this misconception came from that people think the valuation should be based on revenue. It's particularly difficult with like the low margin, like e-commerce type businesses or just low margin businesses overall, because they're turning over so much revenue. They think they're worth way more than they are. But at the end of the day, you know, someone looking to buy our business is looking at profit. You know, you may be selling a ton of stuff, and but that's not really all that interesting to them. Now, I'd say this is definitely true for businesses under $5 million. When you're at, let's say, a $500 million level and a major company is looking to acquire you, they may be less interested in profit and more interested in market share. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the rest of us. <laughs> Those of us who are doing, yeah. you know, regular <laughs> deals and looking to buy online businesses that aren't $500 million. So for the rest of us, we're talking about businesses that are based on a multiple of profit and not revenue. The second misconception is, and you hear this a lot online, is that websites are worth around 10 to 12 times their monthly net profit. And I think I know where this one came from. So years ago, when Flippa was starting out, there were websites that were being priced and sold at about 10 times, about 10 times monthly net profit. And so, you know, it's one of those, I think, persistent kind of internet rumors. Oh, yeah, it's about 10 times, maybe 12 times or something. And it's stuck, even though that's just not the case in, you know, today's market. Yeah, I remember the days. And, and even before Flippa, you know, I did my first internet deal 16 years ago, which is it's crazy to think about now. But back in the day, I mean, it was even five, six monthly net profit. And those days are just gone. I remember having conversations with people and it's like, man, it just doesn't make sense. You would have a e-commerce site that sells clothing, let's say, no overhead, no lease, no employees, all that. And it would sell for six times earnings or 10 times monthly net earnings. And then you would have this offline business that had employees and had to sign a lease and all this inventory they held and it would sell for two three times annual net earnings it's like you know that should have been a sign back then that hey there, there's some room for growth and increase and now we're seeing that we're seeing that you know it, it has increased to around the same multiple that offline businesses get i generally tell people if you're looking at less than 12 or definitely less than 10x on monthly net profit and you think it's a great deal, you're probably looking at a unicorn. Maybe that unicorn exists, or maybe there's something that you're missing in the deal. I mean, I, it's just not, uh, it's not reasonable that you're going to get one for less than 12x or less than 10x net profit today. It's just not going to happen. Yes, I know, Ace, you've probably done one, right? <laughs> maybe you've done one out there, but it's 
pretty rare. You're going to see them oh, at, yeah. at much higher multiples. And and we're going to get into this a bit more and why that's not such a bad deal. But Yeah, I definitely agree. Sometimes I get, you know, since we help people with due diligence and all that, we get these deals and it's like we get the same ones over and over. It's like, no, here's the long list of issues and why this is selling at a 12-month times uh, monthly net. The other thing that we get a lot of is people <laughs> calling saying, uh, you know, yeah, I want to sell my site. It's a $100,000 business. They're like, okay, great. Well, tell me about the business. And then we get down to profits. Like, okay, how much is it making? It's like, well, it's not making anything right now. I'm like, so where'd your valuation come from? It's like, well, I spent $100,000 on it, <laughs> developing and design. And we have this amazing developer that put some time into it and all this stuff. And it's like that means absolutely nothing god man that's a real like palm to a uh, head move right there right like yeah you spent a hundred thousand dollars but no one cares a buyer doesn't care how much money you spent <laughs> on your design on your development and they go but i've got this awesome amazing back end okay well how much money are you making well we're pre-revenue <laughs> that may work that may work when you're trying to raise money but that's not going to work when you're trying to, to sell to a portfolio investor portfolio buyer they just that's not interesting 99.9% .9 of the time. So yes, there's probably someone out there that's in shit, but not your average buyer for sure. All right, so let's talk about, you know, the other misconception and we see this a lot, you know, where we have sellers that come to us and say, you know, with just a couple of tweaks, just a little tweak, you know, here and there, this business is going to be amazingly profitable. We're talking five times what it is today. So let's say the business is making $2,000 a month in profit. They say, "Oh, you know, by the end of the year, this could easily be at 10,000 a month in profit." And, you know, that's just not a selling point, right? For a couple of reasons, you know, let's say that, let's just go with the fact that that's the case. Let's just say that's true, right? That it is true and someone who easily do that. That's the buyer's upside, right? So if those things can easily be tweaked, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. So if they want to try to make that happen, that's the benefit they get in buying your business. You don't get to use that to add to the sales price, right? They get the value after the fact. And the second point is, if it is true, then you shouldn't be selling right now. Then you should get it five times what it's worth and talk to us in six months, nine months, 12 months when that happened. Most often, I think it's not nearly as easy as the seller would like to, you know, would like to think that it is. And it's just using that to try to hopefully bump up the sales price, which isn't legitimate. Yeah, the example that I like to give is, you know, you can't take a pile of metal to a, a person and say, hey, this could be an amazing car. All you got to do is just read these instructions, put it together, and you'll have this awesome car. But I want to sell it to you for the price of the actual car, even though you've got to be the one that goes and, and puts it all together and makes it work and hope that it, it does end up working. So, you know, at the end of the day, you only get value out of something when you're selling the actual value as opposed to potential value. And that's why in the world of venture capital, so many people don't get funded. It's rare that you find that single deal that is worth you kind of going in and investing some money and taking that risk. The other thing that we see a lot of people put value on is the time that they put into the deal. It's like, I've been spending all these years planning the business and putting everything together, got the site built, I you know, went out and I got all these partnerships and you know, all these things, I got the product, it's ready to go, now I'm ready to sell it. <laughs> they wanna get paid for their time, right? They say, look, I put two years of my life, my blood, sweat, and tears into this, 
that's got to be worth something. Well, not necessarily. It's not necessarily worth anything. And that's the cold, hard truth. And I hate having that conversation. And, you know, it's hard for me to have that conversation without rolling my eyes because I, you know, I've, <laughs> I've heard this one before and it's a tough conversation to have with sellers. So, you know, you kind of got to do it. You got to put the white gloves on and kind of, you know, pat their back a little bit and tell them, sorry, no, it's just, that doesn't add to the valuation. The blood and sweat and tears you put into it doesn't add to the valuation. Absolutely. It's tough. Like you said, when you're having those conversations and you can tell somebody is thinking, you know, this is time away from my family, time away from what I wanted to do. I made this sacrifice and I'm not going to get anything out of it. There's a flip side to that too. Sometimes sellers think because they're putting in a bunch of time, let's say they're putting in 15 hours, 20 hours a week into the business or something, they go, you know, no one's going to want to buy this. You know, it's kind of like buying a job. No one's going to be interested in that. It makes $3,000 a month, but I'm putting in, you know, 15, 20 hours a week. You know, that's not going to be valuable to anybody. And that's not necessarily true. There are, you know, the do-it-yourself David types, the people that like to you know, get in there, get their hands dirty, want to do the work on the site, or they're the people that have already have a team in place. They've got virtual assistants that can handle customer service. They've got processes for their other e-commerce businesses, let's say, and they can just take this site and plug it right in. So they don't particularly care about the work that you're doing because they've got a system to handle that. So I think that if you're, you know, worried about selling your business and you're thinking, oh, I put time into this business, I, that's not necessarily going to keep someone from buying it. So, you know, I, I do see that like, you know, sellers were worried about selling their business. They didn't think it was sellable because they're putting time in and we have to explain to them, no, some buyers are fine with that. And some buyers actually look for sites like that. Absolutely. Uh, and if you're a buyer, that can be a huge advantage to start to build your team so that when you come across those deals, of course, those deals have fewer buyers than the ones that are very passive. But if you're able to take on deals that do require a little bit of work, and especially if you can outsource the work, that can be a huge advantage in being able to buy those businesses with a lot less competition. Absolutely. It's like a barrier to entry for deal flow. And as a buyer, you're looking for those, right? Because it means you've got an advantage over other buyers and either you're going to get the deal when they're not, or you, maybe you can even get a discount on this business because other buyers are passing it over or just aren't interested because they don't have what you have. All right, man. Last misconception we wanted to cover is the misconception that buying a business at a lower multiple is always the better deal. Right. And so if you've got, you know, two businesses and they look pretty similar and one's at, let's say, you know, 18 X and the other one's at 30 X, the idea that the one at 18 X is the better buy for you is not always the case. And, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. You know, it may be that, you know, the other one isn't diversified in terms of its traffic sources. It may be that it's too new. It may be that it's just not a very good fit for your personal skills and the other one's a better fit. So, you know, you don't want to take over a business that you're going to run into the ground, whereas the one at 30X might be a long-term play for you that works out really, really well. So I think that, you know, multiple is important from a buying perspective, but it's not always, you know, an apples to apples comparison when you're looking deal to deal to deal. Yeah, I am a much bigger fan of making sure, and I'm always kind of reiterating this to my clients, the more important thing is just making sure that the business is, is real, making sure that you've done due diligence and that the business is going to last. Because at the end of the day, I mean, whether it's 24X or 30X, how many assets out there are going to pay for themselves in literally less than, than three years? I mean, you're talking 30 years. That's less than three years. This thing is 100% paid for. So the real key is, you know, if you buy a 20X deal, 
that disappears after two months, <laughs> that's when things really suck. And so if you could buy the 30X deal that really is going to take 10 more months and it's paid for itself, but it has a lot more longevity, that is the better deal than the more risky 20X deal. What do you think about this, Ace? So I had this comment from a potential buyer, actually just someone in our audience, I think it was commenting on a blog post or something, and they said, look, you know, the deal is if you're buying a gas station, that just automatically has way more longevity than an online business about, you know, whatever kind of Amazon product that's coming out. And, and you know, I think there's some truth to that. Like, I think in general, if you take every for-profit website against every physical business, the physical business on average is probably more long-lasting. But I don't think that's true if you find the right deals, right? And like you're saying, if you buy a deal and it's going to be, you know, it is fly-by-night, it's going to be gone in six months, 12 months or something, that's obviously problematic. But I wouldn't say that that's regularly the deal. I don't think that that's, you know, often the deal. And I don't know, the offline businesses have their own unique challenges and issues. I'm not sure that it's necessarily a win to look at offline businesses because they're for sure going to stand or stick longer. What do you think? Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, <laughs> there are good and bad deals in everything. I mean, there are definitely people who've bought gas stations and the deal goes sour and because of leverage and everything, I mean, it can go beyond just the money that they put up and, and losing that money. But I also definitely, because, you know, we talk to a lot of people that do buy online deals without having a lot of expertise. And for those people, it's not so much that internet deals are risky. It's that their lack of knowledge creates risk because they're going in, they're doing deals. And yeah, I mean, we've gotten calls, unfortunately, from people who have lost their life savings on an internet deal, not because all internet deals are bad, but just because they had no idea what they were doing and they thought they did. And it's like, man, this was an obvious sign here and that was an obvious sign there. Like, you know, it was just a bad deal to begin with. So I think that the person creates the risk. You know, if you've got an expert, which I know a lot of them, gas station owner, and they know what they're doing, for that person, the gas station is a lot better deal than anything that they can do online. Yeah, that totally makes sense on skill set. I think when you're looking at online businesses too, it also, you know, this is not my, the first thing you look at, but it's definitely something you need to consider, I think, which is niche, right? So something that's in some kind of like, you know, trendy here today, gone tomorrow, kind of weight loss mm -hmm. space or, you know, I don't know, paleo or CrossFit, these types of things. And I don't think paleo or CrossFit are necessarily going away, but they're more likely to go away than, let's say, medical education niche, right? So the CrossFit, you know, right now is extremely popular, right? That may not be the case two years from now. I mean, it might be the case five years from now. Whereas, you know, the people looking for, you know, to get educated and get jobs in, you know, the medical space, I think is much more likely to still be as popular or more. So I think, you know, having an understanding of which niches are, you know, fly by night, which, you know, niches are, I think, popular right now, but may not be tomorrow. I think that's kind of important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into some valuation rules of thumb. I mean, as people are looking through deals, they're trying to figure out, okay, does this deal make sense? You know, there are some general rules that make it somewhat easy to figure out, hey, is this a reasonable deal? And so what I'm always trying to figure out before I even engage a seller is, is the seller reasonable? I don't want to waste time on something that's unreasonable. 
Right now, you see multiples in a range of 15 to 35x, and that's net monthly profit. So you've got some variations, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what makes something a 15x deal versus what makes something a 35x deal. But that gives you kind of that general rule of thumb to figure out, okay, is it worth even getting further into this? Because once you see the thing that, you know, is based off of gross revenue and, you know, when you take it down to net, it's 40 or, you know, four annual times net revenue and that kind of thing. It's like, all right, this probably isn't something that's even worth digging into. Yeah, if you're doing 10000 a month net and they're looking for a million dollars to their business, we're pretty far off the mark, right? Anything that you come in, you come in with that, let's say, uh, you know, 200, 250,000, even a $300,000 offer, and they're just going to be offended. Like, they're not going to take that very seriously at 25% of what they're asking. So, yeah, if they're looking for something, you know, absolutely ridiculous, it's probably not going to work because they're being unrealistic in terms of their valuation. The other thing, too, is if they're listing it at, let's say, six times, right? Six times their net profit or whatever. You know, I view that as a red flag, Ace. I don't know about you, but it's like there's something wrong with this. I'll look into it, but there's something wrong here that they're listing it for so short. Like, why would a seller sell at six months net profit? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Both sides should throw up a red flag. You know, much lower than that is kind of like, ah, you know, I'm going in kind of with eyes wide open and above that would be a red flag as well. I think that's an interesting point, too, because, you know, new buyers, they're like, ah, I think I found a deal. Right. And they're, they're, they're looking for that. They're like, I really want a deal. If I can find a deal, I'm going to make out on this. And I think, you know, viewing that as a red flag, I think is pretty important. I think it's, it's valuable advice. All right, man. Second valuation rule of thumb. We're talking inventory. So we're talking e-commerce sites. And really, I think there are two trains of thought. So the first one is that all inventory is included on top of the multiple at wholesale rates. So say, for example, you have a business that's doing 10,000 a month in profit, right? Maybe they're doing 30,000 a month in sales, 10,000 a month in profit. Let's say that they're getting a 25X valuation that gives them you know, $250,000. If they have inventory of $100,000 at a wholesale rate, then you would add that onto the price of the sale. So it was you know, 250, now we're talking $350,000 for the business. So you can add it on at wholesale costs to the sales price. The second way to do it is to take inventory above or below normal levels. And by normal levels, you just look back over the last 12 months and see what their average inventory was per month. And then depending on where their inventory is at at the time of sale, you either add to the sales price or subtract from the sales price if they're low on inventory. If they're above their average level, then yes, you buy that at a wholesale rate. If they're below, then you're going to get a discount on the sale because you need to quickly add inventory. Between the two options, I think the second option is honestly more fair. I think it's the more appropriate approach because you're buying the business on a multiple of net profit anyway. How profitable would that business be if you had zero inventory? Like how well does that business run with absolutely no inventory? It doesn't, right? You can't totally mm -hmm. completely separate it out. So some inventory has to come with that profitable business. And so, you know, having an allowance for a particular amount of inventory that is at your average level, I think, is the better way to do it. That's not how we generally do it uh, at Empire Flippers. We'll add on to the total amount to add to the sales price. But I'm not sure that's the best way to do it. So from a buying perspective, I wouldn't want to do it that way. So what are your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, the normal levels thing is, to, so first of all, where we try to start is that this is a necessary part of the business 
for it to run. And so, you know, from a, our perspective, whether you're buying a SaaS business or you're buying a e-commerce business, you know, you could consider that a SaaS business's inventory was bought initially when they had to pay for all the development and everything of the software that you're buying. Yeah. And so, you know, they could say, oh, well, I want to add this on top and that kind of thing because you're getting this product. But the truth is that's necessary for me to run this business. And so with inventory, what even if it is a lower amount of inventory, whatever, as long as they're not doing some kind of outrageous, you know, 50% off sale to get rid of a bunch of inventory, we really love just whatever the normal level is, we get the business, it includes the revenue at that normal level. And, you know, we basically just buy the business and that allows us, even if the multiple is higher, we're comparing apples to apples because at the end of the day, you know, as a small business buyer and the average buyer, they may be looking at a SaaS business, content business. They may even be looking at like an offline spa. And then they're looking at this e-commerce business. For each one, you want to be able to take the multiple and figure out, okay, what's my ROI going to be? I don't really care about the value of the inventory. I want to buy a business that's a well-oiled machine and, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, outside of that, you start to get into some of these other negotiating points. But it's fun to come up with different ways to handle the inventory. The other thing is handling the expenses in the business. And <laughs> I'm sure you get this a lot, too. But, you know, you talk to sellers sometimes like, OK, so tell me about the expenses. Like, we don't have any. <laughs> like, um, OK, like you do have something. There is some expense. And that's always it's a little bit of a red flag because they're not realizing it means they're not keeping track, you know, whether it was the developer when you first started or, you know, counting in your time or, you know, you've got some hosting costs and maybe you're using some software and literally walking through here are all the possibilities. And then you start to get a real picture of, oh, so you do have expenses. <laughs> yeah. Giving the seller, you know, the benefit of the doubt, I think sometimes they forget about expenses, like honestly forget, right? So it's like, oh, well, yeah. you know, I just pay for content. Okay, you're just paying for content. What about the virtual assistant that you're paying to put it up? What about the two customer service agents you have handling your Zendesk tickets? Oh yeah, oh yeah, those are expenses. Yeah, 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 we gotta, we gotta include that. So yeah. I, I think sometimes they just, you know, they legitimately forget or forget to add the expenses because they just don't think about it. And a lot of times when you're buying these online businesses, you're dealing with, it's not like this savvy, well-oiled machine, right? It's a guy who's got $6,000 a month, you know, lead gen side or something. It's not this crazy, you know, business with all these employees. No, they don't have things that clean. But I think, yeah, this is a point of negotiation only if it's clearly laid out. So, you know, you mentioned it being a red flag if they don't mention the expenses at all. That definitely can be a red flag. And so when you do start digging into it, you may just dump the deal entirely because you're like, look, I don't want to do this for you. Like, I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm going to move on to the next deal where someone does have everything laid out and we can discuss it. Right. I mean, if I yeah. come in and you seem like you don't know what you're talking about and you don't have your expenses laid out, then I might just pass and move on to the next deal. So the guy who has everything laid out, has everything, he has his ducks in a row. Well, now you can start to negotiate. OK, you know, I think this expense, can you prove that to me? I think that you're missing this expense. You need to add this in or, you know, those types of things. Now it could become a negotiation point because you've got something clear in front of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
The other thing I want to mention in terms of, you know, a rule of thumb is that a strategic buyer can look beyond a multiple, right? So they're not looking at just, okay, I buy this business, you know, I'm going to buy it at, you know, 30x or something because they may be able to add a ton of value to it or it may add a ton of value to their already established business. So buying as a multiple of net monthly profit to a strategic buyer, that's something they consider, but they may be willing to go way above what the standard 15x to 35x is they may buy it 50 or 60x if it's the right pickup for them if it you know helps them consolidate the market if it gives them another brand that they can add their products to it may be a hell of a lot more valuable to them than just the you know the multiple of monthly profit yeah that's something that is so powerful and i think a lot of times people hear strategic buyer and they think it's got to be oh this got to be this huge corporation that really wants to come in and buy my business and you know that kind of thing and at the end of the day a lot of times it could be as simple as somebody who has a database that may be the even the same size as yours but that has a different group of customers that they can instantly go out and promote your product to that gives them a lot more value than the person that's just coming into the business new and doesn't have any strategic type of benefit to buying your business. Yeah, let's say there was some, just as an example, right? There's some business out there that is selling some kind of ebook or info product or something to sellers on how to sell their $10,000 to $1 million website or online business. And they're you know selling this, I don't know, $50 product or whatever. And they're making a thousand bucks a month, right? And they're selling a bunch of those products. They've got a nice audience to them. You know, a multiple of 20x, 25x, that only puts them at, you know, 25, you know, 20, $25,000. But that'd be worth a hell of a lot more to us over at Empire Flippers. That'd be worth a hell of a lot of money because we now have an opportunity to take our services and let them list and sell their websites on our platform, which ultimately is extremely valuable to us. So, yeah, from a strategic standpoint, as long as they're getting people to that are interested, they've got a nice audience there. You know, yes, I'll take on that additional cash flow, but I'm really interested in that customer base. That's going to be really valuable to me. So multiples, I'm not that interested. A fifty, sixty thousand dollar sale price is totally realistic at that point. Yeah. All right, man. So let's talk some tips on getting top multiples. We're going to do a little rapid fire here but you know keep in mind that we're talking generally so there are you know specific buyers maybe looking for different things this is just in general if you want to kind of expand to that 35x multiple as a seller or you're looking for deals that are probably worth that 35x multiple from a buyer's perspective these are the things you're going to want to consider first you're going to look for sites where revenue and profit are increasing month over month year over year they've got a great trajectory they have no signs of slowing down and they've been doing this for quite a while yeah the other thing that you want you want to try to get a business that has a proven track record i just get nervous anytime i'm looking at a deal that's six months old and when clients bring deals to me it's like oh it's weird, but it's doing so great it's like yeah it's been doing great for six months so i like to get things that are at least a year old and really, I prefer two to three years is kind of that target market. But when you find that deal that may be over three years or even like five years old, which I mean, it's exciting now that we are seeing deals come to market that are eight, nine, 10 years old. But when you've got that kind of history behind a business, that gives you a, a lot of confidence that you're in a deal that's going to be here for another five to 10 years. Yeah, I get a little freaked out with any business for sale that's under a year old. And, and my reasoning for that is, I hate to say this, but like they could just be buying their own products, right? They could have their sister buying their products, they could have whatever, and they could you know, just be flowing that money back into it. And 
then sell it off to an unsuspecting buyer. Now there are ways to check that in due diligence, but you know, that's one of my concerns for anything that's you know under a year. Yeah, I'd say over a year is really important. Two to three years is good. Three to five years is even better. Five plus years is rare. <laughs> so we get this question a lot. Well, like how come there are fewer online businesses that are five plus years old or seven plus years old? And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, they're just more rare. You're going to have older deals in the offline space are similar. Now they're longer periods of time, but you don't often see, you know, 20 plus year old, you know, offline deals come up for sale. You're going to see the younger businesses. So the younger they are, the more likely they are to switch hands. It's also because I think that we're in the frontier here, right? It's the wild west. And so every year you have a ton more websites coming out. You have a lot of new online businesses started. So, you know, it's going to trend towards the younger businesses. They're just more of them. Yeah, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole reason that we buy these businesses is the fact that, you know, when you're starting from scratch, a lot of businesses are going to fail. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be one of those things where it's rare for a business to even make it to five years. Third thing for getting a top multiple is when you have people or process in place to run the business without much owner involvement. So, you know, you're not involved as heavily in the day to day. You've got people that can run it and you can back out. You can, you know, go on vacation for two weeks and your business continues to run. Those are businesses that in general, buyers are willing to pay a higher multiple for and they're more valuable to potential buyers. It's not to say that, you know, there's not people out there that will buy a business if you're working in it, as I said before. But if you had to choose between the two, I would, of course, take the one with people and process in place that requires less effort on my part. Yeah, I think some of it, like you're saying, Justin, is just a preference thing. But a lot of times it just is a, a necessary thing for a lot of the buyers in the market that we're in. So some of it is, hey, everybody wants to work less. But the other aspect is some people just don't have a lot of time. They're not buying a business they're going to be in full time. They have a full time job. They've got a family. They've got other things that they need to get done. And so it just becomes a necessary thing. The point number four that I love when you can find these kinds of deals, but it's businesses that you get into and you realize, man, this thing has a massive brand in this niche. I mean, you start to poke around and people are talking about them and, you know, like they've really established themselves in the market that they're in. And, you know, they're recognized among the folks in that market that are searching for that product. When you can get those kinds of deals. And actually we did buy, got a, a meeting right after this with the guy that runs a business that we own that is in the kind of cosmetics arena. And in the little niche that they're in, it's been around for 10 years. And, you know, it comes up in consumer reports and that kind of thing as one of the top five brands in that market. And that's neat to be a part of, for one, but it really ingrains your business in that space. Yeah, buyers are paying a premium for established brands. So definitely if you're known in your space and your niche, buyers are just, they know that they have to pay a premium for that. Now I would say, if it comes down to having, let's say an early brand where you're not terribly well known, but it's like the beginnings of a brand, or just kind of a you know more generic you know less branded you know niche side or authority side or whatever i still say the brand wins because you know buyers are looking at this business and saying okay i can see myself with this brand i can see my way forward with the brand whereas like an affiliate site that isn't really branded doesn't really have a brand even the beginnings of a brand going it just doesn't it doesn't have that 
appeal, the same traction with potential buyers that the brand sites do. All right, man, sixth point for getting top multiples, you're going to want to have crystal clear financials. Now, we've talked about this a little bit already, but as a seller, if you come in and you've got everything, you know, in a nice uh, profit and loss, you've got line items for all of your expenses, and you've got everything broken down, you're more likely to keep a potential buyer's attention, right? They can go through it line by line. And now they have negotiating points. They have, you know, everything's clearly laid out for them. Whereas if you don't have that, if you don't have your financials in place, people are likely to pass you up and move on to the next deal. So you're going to want to be in a position where you have, you know, the most potential buying audience possible. The best way to do that is have really clear financials. And that has the potential to get you multiple offers and ultimately a higher price deal. Yeah, it makes such a huge difference. You know, when we're dealing with folks that contact us directly, a lot of times the financials are just a wreck. So you're getting in, you have to kind of go in like that detective and figure things out. And it just creates a sense of anxiety in the buyer's gut that, man, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know what the picture is here. And they've got to be the ones to come up and create the clarity. Whereas from a seller's perspective, if you can just hand everything over, give them a clear picture of what's going on in your business, obviously that's going to make your buyers happy, give you more potential buyers because they don't, you know, like I said, a lot of the buyers don't have a lot of time to put into doing the work on these things. So it's the seller's job to make that as easy as possible for the buyer. Now, you know, no deals are perfect, right? There's no deal in the world that's going to have, you know, every single little thing, you know, working out great for them. But what are your first thoughts as a buyer? Have you come across an online business that has, you know, number one, has revenue and profit increasing month over month, year over year. Let's say it's two and a half, three and a half years old. It's got people in process ready to run it. It's a real brand. It's got a little bit of traction in its industry. And they've got crystal clear financials. You're going to want to snatch that up as quickly as humanly possible, right? Because you know, you know <laughs> what's going to happen. It's like other people are going to come along and you're going to get stuck bidding and trying to negotiate with the deal. They're going to want more. Hell no. Right? You want to get that as quickly as possible. Absolutely. It's like, oh, man, I must be living right. Somebody's shining it down on me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's unicorn territory. But yeah, I mean, you find that deal with all those in place, snatch it up. Yeah, it's great. All right, but let's do a quick wrap up. So we talked a little bit about, you know, how valuations, you know, are based on, let's say, 10x revenues. That's just not the case anymore. You know, valuations based on revenues at all is just not the case anymore. And buyers just generally don't really care how much you've spent, how much money you've spent on trying to get everything up and running. They don't care about the potential. They want to know what it's done and what it's done in profit. And they're going to base it on a multiple of that. And generally, that multiple is in the 15 to 35 net profit range today. One thing for strategic buyers is to look beyond the multiple. It's not always the best indicator of a good deal. You may have amazing deal for you at 30x, whereas this other one at you know 18 or 20x is really tempting. But the one with the higher multiple is your better option. And if you really want to sell at a top multiple from the sell side, you're going to want to have an established growing site that requires little of your time and has extremely clean financials. That is what's going to get you top dollar. What do you think, Ace? Uh, yes. I think we can get more people putting these kind of deals together. <laughs> I think there'll be a lot better deals out there. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just you're creating a win-win. The better you, the seller, builds a business that attracts more buyers, 
the buyer ends up getting the deal that they feel comfortable with. The seller ends up making more money off of selling their business. And, and it's a win-win, which is what this is all about. Yeah, man. Good for buyers, good for brokers, and good for sellers, for sure. Thanks for listening to The Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 